G'day and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 866. This is my interview with Dr. Michael Bruce. He is a specialist in sleeping and he is known as the Sleep Doctor. I hope you enjoy. Hey, how you going? What's cracking? Welcome to another episode here at the Hidden Why podcast. This is a replay episode and it is my interview with Dr. Michael Bruce. So he is the Sleep Doctor or known as the Sleep Doctor. And certainly in this episode, we discuss um, his books, The Power of When, which is about discovering our chronotype, biological clock, so we can reveal how we can work better with our body and not against it, and to improve our sleep. He's got the book also called The Sleep Doctor's Diet Plan, How to Improve Our Health, and it's all about sleep, basically. Nothing really much more important than sleep, and certainly getting a good night's sleep helps um, not only our health, but our mindset and really improves how well we can kick ass in both work and life. So there's a lot to take out of this episode, guys. If you haven't heard it before, that's cool. Um, You're gonna listen to it now and get some takeouts. If you have heard it before, it was quite a while ago, episode 351 originally. Um, If you have heard it before, it might be timely to listen to it again and um, focus on our sleep going into the new year. Also guys, just a quick shout out to my last episode I published on Saturday. It's all about the Hidden Why podcast in 2020. So if you want a bit of a guide as to what I'll be doing next year, um, go back and check that out. That was published on Saturday, uh, episode 865, the Hidden Why podcast in 2020. Guys, I hope you get a lot out of this interview. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and a new year, and we'll talk soon. Cheers. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. It's Lee here. Pumped and excited to have you with me today. I am joined by Dr. Bruce. Dr. Bruce, how are you today? I am excellently. How are you, mate? I'm uh, pumped and excited as usual, and uh, ready to rock and roll right. and and discover some stuff about my chronotype and you know better sleep, which I believe you're the expert in. So uh, where are you <laughs> in the world, mate? I am just outside of Los Angeles in Manhattan Beach. So I am living the good life, my friend. Living the good life. Is it uh, what early afternoon there for you? It is. It's early afternoon, and the surf report says that the waves should be four to five, so all is good. <laughs> Lovely. Good stuff, mate. Well, look, thanks for coming on the show. First of all, I want to discuss some of your work. You've got a number of books out, including your newest one, The Power of When. Now, um, just describe to us, uh, in, in a nutshell, what, what you do, uh, Dr. Bruce. Absolutely. So I am a board-certified sleep specialist. So what does that mean? I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and I am board certified in clinical sleep disorders. So I treat people for apnea, narcolepsy, insomnia happens to be my specialty. And um, I've been doing it for 17 years. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have written three books. My newest book is called The Power of When, and it looks at something called your chronotype. And once you know your chronotype, I can teach you the perfect time to do just about anything from have sex to eat a cheeseburger to run a mile, you name it. <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds good. Um, look, let, let's start there. What, what is a chronotype? So a chronotype is a genetically predetermined um, time or sleep schedule. So have you ever heard of somebody being called an early bird or a night owl? I have, and it's one of those things that I wonder if, if, if there is a difference. So the answer to your question is, yes, there is a difference, and those are chronotypes. So this is all based on data surrounding the PER3 
gene in our body. The length of that gene actually determines our sleep drive, and it determines how long we want to sleep and when we want to sleep, uh, among other uh, markers as well. And so what's fascinating is once you know what, your, what time your body wants to go to sleep, the second thing that you can learn is what your hormone distribution would be like over a 24-hour period. As an example, when we wake up in the mornings, there are two hormones that are very prevalent. One is cortisol, the other is adrenaline. So this is, um, so this is important because once we understand that, we know exactly when your cortisol is going to go up and when your cortisol is going to go down. Then what I did was I matched uh, all of the hormones, including cortisol, to different activities. So as an example, if I, know, if I know that you need certain hormones for sexual activity, then I know exactly when those are naturally at their high point and naturally at their low point, and then I can help you target all of this for better sex. And it's all based on when you wake up and when you go to sleep. Okay. Um, there's, there's probably a lot to sink into that, but the, the chronotype, <laughs> I, so that's something that's in, sort of innately within our genetics um, and different to all of us then. Okay, cool. Now, can we influence that? Can we, can we uh, you know, change that? Like if, if I've got a chronotype to generally wake up later in the day and go to bed later, can I, can I change that to a morning? So the answer is kind of but not really. Kind of, so not the really. good... <laughs> So the good news is, is that our chronotypes will naturally change. Um, if you notice, children have different chronotypes than adults, and specifically different age groups of children have different chronotypes than adults. As an example, we know that um, toddlers have a tendency to be what I call lions or early morning creatures, right? So if you've got kids, you know that your, that your children have a tendency to get up very, very early in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. And that might not necessarily work on your schedule. The second thing you know is um, teenagers, right? So teenagers, I don't know if you've got teenagers. I've got two of them. I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. And if it was up to them, they would stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning and they would sleep until 12 o'clock the next day. Yep. Um, obviously, it doesn't work out very well for school and activities and things of that nature. But that's kind of examples of how at different ages we see differing chronotypes. Our chronotypes really set, our, set up um, around age 20 or so, and then we become one of four very distinct chronotypes. Um, once we get older in years, about age 50, 55, then uh, there's also another change. But your question was, if I'm an early bird and I don't want to be, or I'm a night owl and I want to be an early bird, can I force myself to do this? Hmm. The answer is you can, but you're going to be pretty miserable doing it. Um, this okay. is a genetically... This is a genetically predetermined state. This isn't something that you can have a tremendous amount of influence on. Now, that being said, I've got some people out there who force themselves to wake up at 4.35 o'clock every morning in order to start their day early enough to be able to get the things done that they want to get done. Yep. Meanwhile, their chronotype might suggest that they would be better off starting their day significantly later. Now, there are tips and tricks within the book where I can say if you don't want to follow your chronotype, here's what you can do. So that information is in the book, but it kind of is specific to the chronotype themselves. Okay, so if if teenagers, you know, are willing to go to bed later and wake up later, is, right. is that their chronotype necessarily, or is that just how it, they choose to to operate? Nope, that is all based on genetics. There's there that is not their fault. Um, as a matter of fact, there's now even data to suggest hmm. that um, if we were to start their school times later. 
then they would actually improve in their performance. There you go. Okay, well, that's interesting. Now, I, so it's like our biological sleep clock. Exactly right. That's exactly that's exactly the way to think about it. And we're all different because I know, and I've interviewed a, a couple of people on the show that talk about morning schedules. And I'm typically I love getting up early, um, so that perhaps that's mm-hmm. my uh, chronotype. But uh-huh. um, I've got mates who like getting up, you know, later and, and staying up later, and and we've always had that exactly. sort of discussion about whether they could be a morning person or not. And just over time, I've naturally found that no, it's it's not something that everyone needs to be doing, and perhaps it's not the most effective way for everyone to operate. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize there was actual science behind it. So obviously there is, um, some science behind our chronotype and how it affects our behaviors. Absolutely. And that might explain why my, uh, my partner likes to sleep in, in the morning more so than, than myself, but that would also affect our sex life. Then if her chronotype's different to mine, when I exactly enjoy sex better, that would mean that she would enjoy it at different times as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. And so, so first of all, that's the number one question that people ask me is what's the best time for sex? So let's just get into it and talk about it. (laughs) Right. So first of all, here's what I tell everybody is let's just look at sex in general across all chronotypes. So in order to have to engage in sexual activity, you, from a hormone perspective, there are certain things that you need. You need elevated levels or increased levels of progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, adrenaline, and cortisol need to be high and melatonin, the sleep hormone, needs to be low. Hmm. Now, 72% of people who have sex have sex between 10.30 and 11.30 at night. When all of the sex hormones that they need to be elevated are actually decreased and melatonin is high. So I'm the, I'm the, I will be the first person probably to tell you that everybody out there should be considering having sex in the morning, not necessarily in the evenings. That's typically when and, I want to have sex the most. Right. Right. And so here and here's what's also interesting is for men, it's it's very obvious when men want to have sex because most men wake up with an erection. Hmm. Like if that's not mother nature telling you when you're supposed to do that, I honestly don't know what is. I thought it was just because we need to go to the toilet. Nope. It has nothing to do with bladder control. It has nothing it, it is actually a full sexual response. So it's hmm. interesting that in fact that's the best time. So what happens then if you are not matched with the chronotype similar to you? So what happens if you are not an early bird like your partner? So what I actually did was I created a matrix in the book where I give an early evening time and an early morning time to experiment and try and see when are you going to have the best sex? Because my feeling is, is that sex is part of any healthy relationship. And if you could find a time of day where it would actually work out better for you and your partner, why not? Why not? Absolutely. Uh, I guess a, a lot of this revolves around the way we, we operate as a society and our, our, our lifestyles as well. I mean, you know, getting up early in the morning yes. generally and having sex doesn't work for a lot of people because they've got to get up, get kids prepared and, and run off to work. Uh, right. Um, and and so, the same with waking up later, like you said, like yes. if you're looking at children, um, you know, waking up later to go to school, that's um, mm-hmm. great in theory, but that's, that requires a lot of change as well. It does. And so the, the thing, the thought process here about the book is if you go to my website, thepowerofwhenquiz.com, and I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. Stick that in the show um, notes, yep. What you'll discover is in two minutes you can take the quiz and discover which chronotype you are. Then from there, you can make very small changes. The first change that I ask people to do is just look at their bedtime and their wake-up time and see if it actually fits well for them. Um, 
once you kind of get past that, then I make very specific suggestions based on your chronotype. So as an example, if you're an early morning person, the my suggestion might have more to do with your exercise than it has to do with your sexual activity once you've got your sleep straightened out. It all just depends upon each chronotype. Okay. Now, you said there's um, four chronotypes. What are they? There are four chronotypes. So the first one is an early bird, but I've renamed them all uh-huh. um, because I, quite frankly, I'm not a bird. I'm a mammal, and I chose animals that would actually make sense because they actually follow these chronotypes as well. So the early bird turns into the lion, and the lion, um, is uh, as a creature, it gets up at dawn, has their first kill at dawn, very early morning creatures. Let me tell you some characteristics of my lions. Lions are generally my COOs of a company. They are my managers. They are the people who work well with other people. Generally speaking, they're kind of type A personalities. Um, they're very hard-charging um, people, highly intelligent um, but the problem that my lions have is because they get up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning, they're exhausted by 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. And from a social perspective, they really don't do particularly well socially. Yeah. Um, next come my bears. Bears are sort of in the middle. Um, bears uh, rise around 7.30 in the morning and go to bed around 10.30 at night, you know, give or take. Um, and, um, you know, maybe they get up at 7.00. And um, these are my extroverts. These are the people that are kind of my go-getters. They're really good at work-life balance. Um, They're fun-loving individuals. These are the people that you want to go have lunch with, go have a beer with, kick back, relax. Um, Usually my bears are the the people that you hang out with the most. Mm, Next next are my wolves. And these replace the idea of a night owl. Um, And I happen to be a wolf. So these are the people who actually have a tendency to want to stay up much later. Um, I never go to bed before midnight ever. Um, I just don't have it in me. Um, and that's how, that's how wolves generally speaking are. They're usually my actors and my writers and my, um, musicians, my theater people. Um, these are the people who have a tendency to be wolves, highly creative, um, a little shy at first when you meet them. Um, but once they get to know you, they can be very, very loyal friends. Now, all three of the chronotypes that I've mentioned so far, the lion, the bear, and the wolf, are all ones that come from research. Um, There have been over 300 studies done in the last four to five years just looking at those chronotypes. But one of the things as a sleep doctor I recognized is that, in fact, insomnia wasn't being represented here. And so I added a a fourth category called the dolphin. Now, I chose dolphins because most people don't know this, but dolphins sleep with half of their brain at a time while the other half is awake and looking for predators. And I thought that was kind of a good representation hmm. of what, what an insomniac you know, who never quite gets to sleep would be. My insomniacs, um, or my dolphins rather, are my people who are also type A personalities, um, hard-charging, driven people, highly intelligent, but they do have a tendency to be a bit obsessive-compulsive. And they do have a tendency to not be able to complete work tasks because they're too busy trying to make them perfect. Um, They are very loyal friends. They are wonderful people. Oftentimes, though, they do have um, a lot of medical issues because they're so focused on why they're not sleeping and how that lack of sleep is affecting them from a health perspective. So again, taking the quiz, what you can find out is which one of these four categories you're in, and then you can learn the perfect time to do just about anything. That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to take the quiz myself this morning. Awesome. <laughs> um, so I, I sort of figure out which one I'd probably be aligned, I assume. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll You see. never know. We'll take we'll the see. quiz. Um, that's cool, man. I, I like the insight. Now, you, you talked about 
um, the hormone cortisol there. Now, I'm, I'm aware of cortisol, but I don't really know the depths of it. Now, is that our stress hormone? Is that correct? It is. That is 100% correct. It is our fight or flight hormone, our stress hormone. It is, the, it is the hormone that is produced in our bodies when we need to have alertness, energy, and get up and go. Is that the, is it work um, similarly with uh, endorphins? Well, it's a little bit different than endorphins. Endorphins have a tendency to, uh, it's actually more similar to adrenaline than it is to anything else. Um, endorphins have a tendency to curb pain um, for us and also to uh, extend um, the, uh, the life uh, uh, of a muscle in terms of just its energy level and energy expenditure. So it's a little bit different, but I, I know where you're going with it. It's much more like adrenaline than anything else. Hmm. So with, with cortisol, it, I mean, if, if we... If that increases as we, does it increase when we wake up? Is that the case? It does. It's actually the thing that helps bring us out of a state of unconsciousness is a higher level of cortisol. What's interesting is that um, some of my dolphin patients, as a matter of fact, have cortisol problems at night and they find that their cortisol is high in the evenings and so they have to take supplements to help reduce that cortisol. Okay. So does melatonin help balance that hormone out and reduce it? Is that naturally so, the process? So here's what's interesting is melatonin is a sleep regulator, not a sleep initiator. Uh -huh. So melatonin will affect um, your natural circadian rhythm of whether you want to be a dolphin or a lion or a bear or a wolf, but it does not affect whether your ability to fall asleep or actually your ability to wake up. So melatonin, again, shifts your clock from one time to another, but it doesn't initially make you sleepy. That is a hormone called adenosine that builds up in your system over time, much like hunger, right? So I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I eat something and that hunger dissipates. The same holds true with sleep, is as adenosine builds in our body, we get sleepier and sleepier and sleepier. Once we sleep, we burn through that adenosine and we wake up the next day. Okay, so what, what um, brings on sleep? Is there any, any hormone there? So that hormone is adenosine, and it adenosine. actually occurs. Okay. Uh, and it, and it, it's interesting because it occurs from the interesting fact about adenosine is one, it's a byproduct of when cells will eat glucose. Um, but number two, if you look at the molecular structure of adenosine and you look at the molecular structure of caffeine, they're literally off by one molecule, which is pretty amazing. Hmm. So what happens is, is when you drink caffeine, it fits very nicely into the adenosine receptor sites in the brain, and it blocks that sleepy hormone adenosine, and that's why caffeine makes you feel alert. Once your brain burns through the caffeine, the adenosine comes rushing in, and that's where the caffeine crash comes in, is from this adenosine flood. Adenosine. How do we spell adenosine? A-D-E-N-O-S-I-N-E, I believe, but I'm not a great speller. Neither am I. <laughs> that's what I thought I uh, Yeah, very, very interesting stuff. Now, I thought melatonin, the sleep regulator, um, was something that was profoundly happening or, or with, you know, flowing in us it uh in the evening um so once the sun does, goes down and once the you know that is yep you are accurate although what's in another interesting fact is 80 percent of the melatonin that is in our body is made in our gut it actually helps us with our digestion only 20 percent is made in our brain which helps us with sleep that's interesting what about serotonin because i believe that's the case for serotonin as well it's exactly right that is the case for serotonin and you know a lot of people think about serotonin as the calming Hormone. And I think that's a pretty accurate description. You know, serotonin helps take agitated states. To, it it, it kind of levels you out. It takes the highs and makes them mid, medium, and it takes the lows and brings them up. So it kind of middles you out, if you will. Okay, so the cortisol hormone is really a, a good a good thing for us then. 
It's but a great thing for us, but is, not is, at night. Not at night. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, it, it increases with stress in our lives. Is that correct? Like cortisol? Absolutely. And, and so some people get what's called adrenal fatigue because their cortisol levels are so high for so long because they're so doggone stressed out. And that can affect their sleep, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that's, that's um, all very fascinating insight. And I'm, I'm curious to find out, you know, which, which chronotype I am. Because um, mm-hmm. it's very, uh, it's very fascinating stuff, and Good. and I love, I, you know, it's a bit over my head, I guess, um, the uh, the chemicals and and the hormones, etc. But certainly, um, it it makes a lot of sense. So hopefully, the the audience can get some value out of that. Why is you know sleep so important? Because I feel that um, it seems to be you know a little bit more trendy now. People are talking about sleep a bit more now. But in the Recent years, it's really about, you know, don't sleep that much, just get up, get to work and, right. and hustle, you know, and this word hustle um, that is so predominant out there. Um, it is it is interesting, isn't it, that sleep has now come more into favor, if you will. It seems as though much more people are interested in sleeping um, now than ever before. Uh, there was a big article uh, over in the States in a publication in the, the New York Times. And so in the New York Times, they said that sleep is the new luxury, which I <laughs> thought was a very interesting way to kind of think about it. And, and here's the thing is we don't actually know why we sleep. Um, nobody has quite figured that out yet, uh, which is obviously a problem. Um, and, uh, but we know what happens when we don't sleep well, we know what happens when we become sleep deprived and now sleep deprivation can come in two forms. It can be lack of minutes of sleep or poor quality sleep. So sometimes people can wake up after eight hours and feel like crap and other people can wake up after six and a half hours and feel fantastic. Mm. So there are differences there for sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot I want to jump into that, and I'll try and do it as effectively as I can. Um, so, so firstly, the the evolution of sleep. I mean, what's your perspective on on that? Because I've heard different theories on on why we sleep, um, and certainly as it relates to our evolutionary process, such as we went into caves at night to you know protect right. ourselves from wild beasts or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and that's where the sleep developed because we had nothing else to do. <laughs> Well, I, I would say that that's not a. We went into caves for protection, yes, yeah. um, and uh, we also um, went in there at night as opposed to during the day because our body is very reactive to light. So the thing that everybody out there should remember is light is medicine. Okay, it affects our body in various ways. We have um, these light sensors all over our body, and when it's light out, we actually do much better than when it's dark out. The body really wasn't meant to do things in the dark. It was meant to do things in the light. Hmm. Um, and that can be very important, um, for most people. But, um, I will tell you that the reason we sleep is not because we had nothing better to do. It is really about recharging the batteries. It's about resetting your brain. It's about moving information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory. And it's about cellular repair and growth. Yeah, well, that makes sense because, you know, when you don't get to sleep, all those things are, are affected. Right, <laughs> exactly. So that makes sense. Okay, so, and now, quality of sleep, as, as, a, as a sleep doctor yourself, what, I mean, you're, you're a night owl, you said, or a, what do you call it? Yes, a uh, wolf. Uh, a wolf, yep. Um, so what, what, how often, do, how long do you sleep for a night? So I've been a six and a half hour sleeper for most of my life. I'm 49 years old. And in the last year, I've noticed that I seem to do a little bit better closer to seven than to six and a half. So I've started to move myself from a six and a half hour sleeper to a seven hour sleeper. But, you know, everybody's sleep need is different. Absolutely. Um, 
Mm. Eight hours is a myth. Uh, it's really much more of a generalization than anything else. M- most people um, need a personalized amount of sleep. Yeah, now I've heard you know people talk about you know getting three hours, four hours of sleep a night, and I just I always go, wow, that's crazy. And and I myself um, prefer not to sleep because I want to use my time as mostly as I can. Um, right. But I realize that I you know I can't do that. I need a, a certain amount of sleep to to function properly. Is three hours or four hours realistic? Is are there you know no. are there the dolphins it's... out there that can do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know people that do that and they're miserable, number one. Um, Number two, the data would suggest that people who sleep less than five hours a night or who sleep more than 10 hours a night have a double mortality rate. Right. Okay. So sleeping less than five hours is not a good idea. I never recommend that my patients sleep anything less than six. Yeah. Okay, and the other thing I wanted to get into because, I mean, you you touched on it before, the the lack of minutes or the poor quality of sleep and, you know, there's there's certainly perhaps a a misperception out there that if if we sleep for longer, we'll feel better, but really, um, that's not the case and I think it's probably the the biggest biggest myth, not a myth really, is it, but anyway, the biggest mistake Mm -hmm. that that a lot of people let's come to because... Sleep is, is, for me, so determined by my health. And, and the mm-hmm. more I improve and learn and, and focus on that sort of area myself, the better my sleep becomes. And recently, I've, right. I've had some dramatic changes in the last couple of weeks in my health. And, and I, you know, I just feel better from sleep. Like I, I, can, I woke up five hours after sleep tonight uh, to do this interview, and I feel quite alive and charged. Now, I know I'll feel tired a little bit later, and I'll probably have a, a nap right. for that. Yep. But generally, compared to you know several years ago when I did that, it would be not the same. I'd feel like absolute rubbish. Right, and so it's it it. So you're 100 percent correct. Sleep follows your health, number one, um, and you will feel um, a little bit more um, sleepy probably later, um, since since you only did get um, five hours of sleep. But again, people can survive. You know, there's a big difference between occasional you know sleeplessness or occasional stressful night. Um, versus actually that's what they regularly get. Now, there are yeah. some people out there that had kind of hit the genetic lottery and are gifted to the point where they only need four and a half hours of sleep. They'll call, they're called short sleepers, um, and mm. they're pretty rare uh, out there. But in fact, they are, they are available. Um, uh, but you can't, it's genetic. You either are or you're not, right? It's not, it's not something that you can um, just right off, you know, off the top of your head, say, hey, I want to become a short sleeper and, and make it happen. It doesn't work that way. No, and I've, I've sort of experimented with that. <laughs> it didn't work. Um, yeah. It didn't last too long. So is there, is there other things that we can do to sort of discover how much sleep we require other than, you know, self-experimentation? Obviously, you could sleep for six hours for a week and see how that feels and then go for seven or eight. Um, so, here's what, so here's what I usually tell people to do, hmm. and it's not too far off from what you just suggested, is I say, look, most people have a socially determined wake-up time, meaning they got to get up for school, get their kids ready, get up for work, something like that. So what I ask them to do is I say, okay, look, here's what we should consider is go ahead and take your socially determined wake-up time and count back seven and a half hours. All right. Now, why did I choose seven and a half hours? The average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long yep. and the average person has five of those sleep cycles. So five times 90 is 450 divided by 60 minutes is seven and a half hours. So if you normally wake up at 630, I want lights out at 11. I want you to do this for one week 
And if you find yourself waking up um, just before your alarm goes off, then you've discovered that you need seven and a half hours of sleep. I personally did this experiment and that's how I discovered that I needed six and a half hours of sleep. Um, is because I, I needed to get up at 6.30. I went to bed at 11 for a week and I found myself waking up at 5.30. And I thought, well, I don't want to wake up at 5.30. I want to wake up at 6.30. So I go to bed an hour later at midnight and then I'm fine. Yeah. So that that's what I tell people to do is to do, and you hit the nail on the head, do a little self-experimentation um, and you'll discover kind of what your sleep need is. Now, I will tell you that sleep need does seem to run in families quite a bit. So if somebody in your family doesn't require a lot of sleep, there's a decent likelihood that you might not either. Okay, that's cool. Um, and and then the 90 minute sleep cycle thing is really fascinating. I, I discovered that um, some time ago and um, just through experimentation, I, I realized that I'd often wake up before alarm clock right on that 90 minute cycle, whether that was four and a half hours, six hours or seven and a half hours, um, which always fascinated me. But what I didn't understand, like you just said that you found that you had um, six and a half hours, which doesn't fit with the 90 minute cycle. What is the reason for that? So my cycle seems to be shorter. Um, I seem to have like a 70 something minute cycle. And so, you know, because I'm a sleep doctor, I get to go to sleep laboratories all the time and test these things out. So that's kind of what we figured out is my sleep cycle is actually less. So that's interesting. Okay. And that's obviously possible. Does that relate to your health? Um, it doesn't. It seems to be that seems to be genetically predetermined. Like, are you saying that because I sleep six hours, that makes me more prone to certain problems or more healthy than other people? There, there yeah. isn't any right. There isn't any real data yet to dis, to discover that. Um, because to be honest with you, most sleep doctors out there are just trying to tell people to go to bed for eight hours, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, everyone's different. Um, it's the same with with you know all the practices of life. Everyone's got different uh, different requirements right. there. No, I just I just found it uh, interesting. Like, if, if your health improves over time, um, perhaps can you sh- shorten that that sleep cycle? Because I assume a sleep cycle is really designed so you can get the most out of the recovery in that time. Exactly. And if you've got good health, perhaps you don't need the full ninety minutes to to you know fully recover. Right. Um, that's exactly right. So that's interesting. Wow, very interesting stuff. I love it. So getting better sleep is is really important, and certainly um, you know the, the health is important. What are some of the the tips or practices that you suggest that people can that really focus on to help get a better quality of sleep? I'm um, sorry, say that question one more time. What are some of the practices that people could focus ah. on to get quali- you know better quality sleep, rather than just you know obviously finding out their chronotype and right. um, trying to figure out what's most uh, mm-hmm. suitable for them? Yep. So there's five steps that I tell people that will help their sleep very, very quickly. Okay. So step number one is about finding one specific consistent sleep schedule. If people get only one thing from our, our whole podcast today, it's the more consistently you go to bed and wake up, and the wake up time turns out to be the most important time, then only then will your body know when to fall asleep how to get into deep sleep quickly, and you will you will infinitely improve the overall quality and quantity of your sleep. It's about sticking to one schedule, and that unfortunately includes the weekends. Now, if you want to go out Friday night for dinner and a movie, and instead of going to bed at 11, you end up going to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning, that's fine, but you still have to get up at your 6.30 wake-up time. The, <laughs> the, the anchor to the whole program is the wake-up time, so no matter what, You've got to wake up at the same time every single day. So that's step number one. Step number, 
Step number two is to stop caffeine by about 2 p.m. Now, notice I didn't say stop caffeine altogether. I don't have a problem if you want to have a couple of cups of coffee. Um, enjoy yourself. But at the end of the, the, the day, caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. And yeah. so if it's still in your system and you're drinking it past two o'clock, it is going to have an effect on your ability to fall asleep. Now, I know there's somebody out there who's going to say, that's a bunch of crap because I can sleep, I can drink an espresso or a cappuccino right before bed and fall asleep easily. You just while that, that question. <laughs> right. While that might be true, if I put electrodes on your brain, I would be able to see that your body, even though you're falling asleep, is not getting into the deep, refreshing, restorative sleep. And that's really where the rubber kind of meets the road. Yeah. So step number two is stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Do you drink caffeine? Ste um, I, you know, it's interesting. I would say I have a cup of coffee in the mornings about 90 minutes or so after I wake up, maybe two times a week. Um, not, it's not really very often. We have a great coffee maker here in the house and my wife seems to enjoy coffee in the mornings, but I just, ever since I started really going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time and I drink water right when I wake up, by the way, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you drink should not be a caffeinated beverage. Um, there's a couple reasons why people don't realize this, but when you breathe out at night, the, the humidity in your breath, you lose almost a liter of water from your system. So you actually wake up dehydrated yeah. by adding uh, coffee, which is a diuretic. It would actually make you more dehydrated and not put your body in a good place. So, um, the first thing you should do is drink about 12 to 16 ounces of water, um, and rehydrate yourself. Uh, that's the number one thing. If you wait approximately 90 minutes after you wake up and then have your cup of coffee, um, your cortisol is naturally starting to flow downwards, and this is a way to k pick it back up and get a little bit more power from your from your coffee, if you will. Uh -huh. um, cool. So step number three has to do with alcohol. So I've got no problems if you want to have a couple of beers or glasses of wine or spirits with dinner, um, but once you get past two, um, it appears to have a significant effect on your ability to sleep. Now, there's a great big difference between going to bed and passing out, okay? Yeah. And what we want to say is, is it's okay to have two you know, beverages, but once you get past two, it has an effect on your ability to have physically restorative sleep. And this is partially where a hangover comes from. So I always tell people you want to limit it to two and you want to stop approximately three hours before bed. It takes the human body approximately one hour per alcoholic beverage um, to digest it. So if you stop drinking at 8 and you get in bed at 11, you're perfectly fine to have had a couple of glasses of wine with your meal. Mm -hmm. okay. So step number three is uh, stop drinking three hours before bed. Yep. Uh, step number four has to do with exercise. The single biggest way to improve the quality of your sleep is daily exercise. Now, obviously, check with your physician to make sure that you're healthy enough to exercise. And I'm not talking about running a marathon here. Um, if all you want to do is take your dog for a 25-minute walk, I'm good with that because the data would suggest that just merely by getting out there and, and doing some exercise, you will, in fact, um, improve the quality of your sleep. And then my final tip is when you wake up in the morning, you want to get 15 minutes of direct sunlight. Um, most people don't realize this, but sunlight actually turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain. And so by getting direct sunlight, what you end up doing is you end up waking up much more alert uh, and brighter-eyed and more bushy-tailed. 
Awesome stuff. I love it. Yeah. And sunlight is just, like you said earlier, it's, it's just an amazing medicine. Um, it is. It has so many benefits. And I think the the thing of our society is that we just clearly don't have enough of it. And I don't, certainly. Like, it's just been winter here in Japan. And mm-hmm. um, I haven't had enough sun over that period. So I, I take a supplement, vitamin D, and perhaps you can set, yep. shed some light on that. But that seems to oh, uh, assist sure. me greatly. Yeah, and so vitamin D is fantastic. Um, people should look at somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 international units a day. Um, over here in the States, something like 60 or 70% of people are vitamin D deficient. Mm. So, um, and because people are not spending out time outdoors, they're not uh, eating foods that would help produce vitamin D. Vitamin D, by the way, is a hormone. Um, and so it's definitely something that you want to have in your system. Um, the other thing that you can do is there are specialty light bulbs now that can actually mimic the sun. Hmm. And so, um, I have them in my bathroom. I have special light bulbs in my bedroom, um, from a company called lighting science. Um, it's just www.lighting.science and they make a special bulb that, that, um, filters out the blue light. Uh, which is the light that stops melatonin production um, so that it doesn't bother me at night. And then I have ones with blue light in my bathroom in the morning to help wake me up. That's awesome. I like it. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. And, and what, you know, as far as vitamin D goes, just quickly, because I've just got some some new um, supplements here that have, I think they're 3,000 international units per capsule. Uh-huh. Um, do you notice the effects fine. when you have more or like I, I, I don't, I because I've been taking them for, I don't know how long now, over a year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I feel that they're helping me cause I, I seem to be sleeping better and, and lots of things seem to be better, but, um, what are the symptoms of taking too much is, or are there symptoms? It's hard to take too much, but the truth of the matter is, is you just pee it out. So okay. it's really not necessary to really take more. I mean, 3000 IU is probably about the maximum. Now I will say that there are some people where if they're having some health challenges, there is some data that would suggest, um, that in fact, what they do is they take larger amounts of vitamin D. We're talking eight, ten thousand international units. That's something that you want to talk with your doctor about. You, that's not necessarily something that you want to do on your own. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've actually read a book recently that someone said you know five thousand international units, and they're talking high amounts. And um, yeah, anyway, um, you just got to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Look, the one I want to ask you um, one more question, then we'll jump into to the final questions and, and wrap this up. Of course. Um, and that's just in regards to our, our cortisol, I guess. I guess if that's helping us, you know, remain awake and alert and mm-hmm. aware throughout the day, it it obviously decreases because I can feel that in the morning, when slowly I, I start to go down. And as you said, you know, if I have a coffee, which does vary, but usually around ten o'clock or ten thirty, it just picks me up again and then it gets me through. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. for the next you know couple of hours for whatever I'm working on. Right. What can we do other than you know taking caffeine um, in, in those periods where we're coming down a little bit to you know to help us get through the day? Are there things that we can do like uh, exercise, push-ups? So here's what I tell most of my patients is the number one thing that you want to do when you feel yourself getting sleepy, especially in the middle afternoon, like between one and three o'clock, is to go outside um, and get sunlight. Um, there's actually a core body temperature drop that occurs in all human beings between one and three in the afternoon. Now, the thing that most people don't know is that when your core body temperature drops, even just a quarter of a degree Celsius, um, or centigrade rather, what you, what you'll discover is that this is a signal to the brain to release melatonin, which is the key that starts the engine for sleep. 
So by going outside, have your lunch outside as an example, what you'll find is that half day, middle of the day slowdown will start to stop occurring. Um, that's number one is get outside. Number two, absolutely some form of physical activity is great. Now, if you can do you know, 10 pushups, wonderful. But if you're concerned because you're wearing your work clothes or whatever, just eat lunch outside and go for a walk to the end of the parking lot and back. Just get the blood moving. You know, sitting is the new smoking, as I like to say. You just don't want to be sitting around all day long because number one, it's not good for circulation. Um, but number two, it's really not good for energy levels. Ah, uh, good advice. I'm going to do that. That's it. Um, get outdoors in the middle of the day. I think it, it makes sense. So, um, yeah, absolutely. You've inspired me, Matt. We've got about five minutes to go. I want to run through these questions. So, um, sure. We'll keep the answers short, and mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're pretty basic questions anyway. Uh, the first one is: What do you have any particular routine or ritual that you believe contributes to your success? I do. Um, so one of the things that I do, and this is uh, on the personal side, is, uh, and this is going to sound strange, and it doesn't take very long, is every morning, almost every morning when I'm in the shower, um, I turn and I face the water, and I have it hit me square between the eyes. And it runs down the front of my face, and I can't breathe very well, so I have to open my mouth to breathe. And it forces me to concentrate on my breathing. And I do this for approximately one minute. And then I take the shower, and I start to make it a little bit cooler, a little bit cooler, and a little bit cooler. I don't get it to the point of being ice cold, but I just make it cooler, cooler, cooler while doing this meditation. And then I turn it off, and I will tell you something. I am right in the moment. I am ready to wake up and, and do what I need to do. So I would say that's one of the things that I personally do. Very interesting, yeah. I love the uh, the old cold. Not a while I do the cold shower sort of technique, just blast it cold. Um, that's a, you're more daring than I am, Lee. I, I'm not I'm not as daring as to do a, a cold shower in the mornings, but a, a cool shower I think I can handle. <laughs> well, I, I just stopped doing that over winter actually, and I've just started it again because it's getting a bit warmer. But um, over winter I just couldn't handle it. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit, my friend. What is a what is a piece of advice you'd give a sorry? What advice would you give your twenty year old self? Uh, what buy Apple, Microsoft, and Facebook stocks when they come out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be my advice. What is your meaning of success? You know, it was interesting. Um, it's a, first of all, I think that's an important question that we all ask ourselves. Um, I think success for me is that my children know that they're the most important thing in my life and that they recognize that their level of importance to me is above everything else. I think that's really what makes me feel successful. And there are some days where I'm very successful and there's some days where I'm not as successful as I would like to be. Um, but I think ha having that relationship with my kids uh, turns out to be probably the most important thing for me. Yeah, nice. Have you got a piece of productivity advice for the audience? My biggest piece of productivity advice for the audience is if you know your chronotype, it will teach you exactly when is the best time to brainstorm, to memorize, to do logistical planning. It's really very, very detailed. And so if you're looking for the ultimate productivity hack, I would recommend taking the quiz, learning what your chronotype is, and then picking up the book. You'll be pleasantly surprised at how helpful it can be. Yeah, absolutely. I um, looking forward. I haven't actually read it myself yet, so I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, Excellent. What advice would you give someone looking to make change in their life, whatever that change might be? 
Uh, I would tell people if you want to make change in your life, um, do two, maybe three things. Number one, don't change everything about your life. Change something small. Um, and number two, make sure that you tell somebody about the change that you're making and ask them to kind of have them help you stick to it. Because I've tried to make changes in my life that nobody knows about. And then of course I just, you know, say, Oh, I don't have time for it today or something like that. But if I had somebody who I was held accountable to, I think it would make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Cool. Certainly helps. What is your favorite food? Ice cream. Favorite leisure activity? Playing poker. Favorite book? Uh, you know, I've got a bunch of favorite books. That's a tough one. It is. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I'm rereading, uh, or actually I'm, I'm reading The Power of Now nice. um, by Eckhart Tolle, um, which is just, it's such a, it's such an important piece of work. I really like that book. Um, from a business perspective, um, there's a couple of books that I really like. One is called Play Bigger. Uh, the other is called Double Double, um, which talks about how to take your ideas and make them bigger and how to um, increase your finances. And then on, on another personal level, there's a new book that just came out that I really like. Um, you should think about having this guy on your podcast. It's called Stealing Fire. And um, this, uh, this guy, Jamie Wheel, um, did an amazing job. He works with Navy SEALs and some of the top people in the world, and he's figured out how to get them into what he calls a flow state where they're doing exactly what they want to do at the, at the rate at which they want to do it, and it's, it's pretty amazing. So I would check that out. That's um, Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly right. I just got that in the mail, actually, as you say that. Oh, it's fa it's, dude, it's awesome. You will really like it. Another book that just came out that I think has got some, some value to it is um, Dave Asprey's um, Headstrong. Mm. Um, I think that that has been because he's got a whole good section on sleep, and I agree with a lot of what he's talking about as far as his sleep stuff is concerned. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. Have you got a particular diet just on that? You know, um, I'm, I've never been a big carbohydrate guy anyway, and I eat at least two vegetarian meals a day. So I, I kind of have just kind of created my own little thing. I, I'm not a person who has a tendency to need to lose weight. Um, I'm not saying I couldn't stand to lose five pounds, mind you. <laughs> um, but um, I don't really practice diet. I more I, I practice exercise on a regular basis. I like to run, uh, and I'm a cycler, um, and so I like to do those spin classes. So that that's where I seem to keep my keep my weight at check. Yeah, cool. Okay, do you have a favorite quote? A quote I do. Um, it's from a book called The Road Less Traveled, um, and it's and the very first line of the very first chapter says, "Life is difficult," and I think that is a very true statement. <laughs> okay. And last two questions. Number one is, do you think we all have a why? Do we think we all have a why? What do you mean by that? A purpose in life. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, I would say I think we do. Um, I, I would say that there are times when we don't always know what that why is. Mm. Um, and sometimes it has to be revealed to us, um, sometimes easily and sometimes in a difficult way. But um, yes, I would say that we all have a why. Yes, the hidden why, of course. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if we do. <laughs> That's why I ask everyone. What mm -hmm. do you believe living life with passion and purpose means? You know, it's so interesting you ask that question because I hear people all the time say that they have no regrets. Um, I have regrets. I have definitely have regrets that have happened in things in my life. I think that living our lives with passion and purpose means um, when we can, and it doesn't 
hurt or bother anybody else to move forward with our passion, our ideas, and and allow ourselves to to really dream and dream big, you know, and and see what you can accomplish. You know, literally every single thing that I've done in my life, multiple people have told me there was no way I was going to be able to do it. And you know what? I still accomplish it anyway. So I would tell people, you know, don't listen to the inner or the outer critic um, and move forward. You'll be surprised at what you can accomplish. Yeah, really cool advice. Mate, it's been an absolutely inspiring chat. Uh, lots of insight for me about sleep and certainly the chronotype. I look forward to doing your quiz and just want to remind people to check that out as well. So it'll be in the show notes, the link, but that is thepowerofwhenquiz.com. Yep. And also you've got a website, thesleepdoctor.com, um, which I believe is your, your personal website. Is that right? It is. It's my personal website. Um, so I'll stick those in the show notes, guys, to so check those out. Is there any other um, ways people can reach you, Michael, or anything else you're working um, on? You want to let I'm available know? on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Pinterest. I don't think there's a social media Instagram. I don't think there's a social media thing you can't find me on, and it's usually with the moniker of The Sleep Doctor. The Sleep Doctor. Very cool. Michael, well, thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure, absolutely insightful, and um, yeah, look forward to connecting down the track again. Absolutely, Lee. Thank you. I really enjoyed myself, and uh, sweet dreams to everybody. <laughs> Thanks, mate. All right, guys, check it out, thehiddenway.com. Leave your comments there. Connect with Michael, and thank you for coming on the show. And until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. We'll see you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee martin Lutzi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon